My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Many years ago, I remember the basketball player uh, Charles Barkley when he was still playing, when he wasn't uh, a commentator. And he made a commercial that uh, became very controversial. Some of you might remember this. It was for sneakers. And the commercial was him saying, I am not a role model. I am not a role model. Basically saying, I'm a basketball player. And since I'm a basketball player, you shouldn't look up to me as a role model. It's not my job to be a role model. It's your job, parents and everybody else, to be role models. And it generated a lot of controversy, right? Because generally speaking, we look up to successful athletes who are at the, the pinnacle of their game. You know, we still, Michael Jordan retired years ago, but they're still talking about him and making documentaries about him. But Barkley was interesting. He was a very polarizing player because of his aggressive physicality and his temper on the basketball court. And I remember listening to conservative talk radio hosts lambaste him for what he said. Of course you're a role model. Of course you're a role model. You shouldn't say things like that. And thinking about what Charles said, I, I think he, he was wrong, but because, but I'm more appreciative of the point he was trying to make, right? He may not have considered himself a role model, but there's nothing he could do to stop other people from considering him a role model because of who he was, his success in being in the public eye. But in the reading that we have here from Philippians, St. Paul sets himself up, or should I say, maybe gently requests that the church in Philippi imitate him and what that will do for them in their spiritual life. So he asks them to join him in something. In verse 17, he says, brothers, join me. Well, join in what? Well, join in imitating me, he says. So what we see St. Paul referring to here is something very different from what Charles Barkley told people to do. St. Paul tells the readers or the, the hearers at the church there in Philippi, imitate me, imitate me, right? And, and this is the theme that he refers to in other places as well, specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says to the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate who? As I imitate Christ. So St. Paul sees Jesus as the one who leaves out a pattern for him and for us and his followers to follow. Now we have to note it's important, though, that that's not all that St. Paul sees Jesus' life as doing. We must always resist the temptation, or we must always resist the lure to reduce the life of our Lord to just a mere pattern of moral behavior, Right? There's a theology that looks to Jesus as he was just a good teacher who did a lot of good things, who said a lot of good things, whose whole uh, uh, reason why he was even here, he may not have even been God, that may have just been a misunderstanding of his followers. The whole reason he was here is just to show us an ethic. Uh, he's just there to lay out a way for us to live, and that's basically it. He's not the divine human son of God, eternally begotten of the Father before all ages. 
He's not light of light. He's not very God from very God. Definitely not born of the Virgin. He was just a dude who got persecuted and executed as a criminal by the evil, corrupt empire. Right? There's, that's not what Jesus is doing. He does lay out a pattern for us to follow. But we can't reduce who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what he continues to do for us today as just an ethic or a way of living. But we do see Jesus as laying out a pattern for us, for our lives, that St. Paul imitates and asks us to do too. Jesus came to reconcile sinful humanity. We were dead in our trespasses and slaved to death. He came to reconcile us to the Father. Right? So for St. Paul and for us, the pattern of life that Jesus lays, lays out for us is always cruciform. The giving up of oneself for the good of the other. And he demonstrates what that looks like in real practical ways. And say Paul demonstrates that in real practical ways in their community. Just as Jesus gives himself for them on the cross, so too St. Paul gives himself for the lives of the churches that he is establishing. One of the things I'm trying to do with my son Isaac is I'm trying to teach him how to brush his teeth. So we stand in front of the mirror every morning. And he's like, I don't want to brush my teeth. I want to do this. I'm like, well, let's brush our teeth first. We stand in front of the mirror, put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, fill up his little cup with water and get his little floss stick. And I brush his teeth and then I give him the toothbrush. And I say, okay, now you do this. And I make the motion, do like this with your teeth, open your mouth, open your lips so you can get in there with your toothbrush, go up and down, up and down. I demonstrate for him, and then he does it himself. He doesn't always succeed. And the other day he dropped a big wad of toothpaste on his pants. But he tries, and he has to do this every single day. The, the example, the pattern that I lay out for him in brushing and flossing his teeth is then what he uses to build his own practice of brushing his teeth on, right? And the same, it, it works the same thing with prayer. It works the same thing with um, the spiritual life, right? He then says to them, the first thing he says is imitate me. The second thing he says is to keep your eyes on, to keep your eyes on someone. He, basically, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that has been set for them. So this is a reference to not just the way St. Paul lives his life, but also the way that those who minister with him live their lives as well. So maybe we could say that this group of people are those who are with St. Paul, who have been imitating St. Paul the way St. Paul has been imitating his Lord Jesus Christ. And so the people at the church at Philippi need to keep an eye on them as well. And these would be their own leaders, right? They are to imitate the leaders that Paul has set for them there at the church in the same way those leaders imitate St. Paul, in the way that St. Paul is imitating Jesus Christ. And he gives them a reason, a reason why. Because those that they, he says you should keep your eyes on, they live their lives opposite to the world around them. So he says in verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things.
those whom they should keep their eyes on do not walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The enemies of the cross of Christ are those who oppose the work of Christ. They are the ones who refuse to hear the good news of Christ's victory over sin and death. They are the one who actively work against the great commission that Jesus gave his apostles. They are the ones who actively seek out to even harm the members of the church community. St. Paul says these people are enemies of the cross. And this is very harsh language, enemies of the cross. He's not saying they mildly dislike the cross or they're slightly offended uh, with the cross. It says that they are enemies of the cross. They have set themselves up against Christ and his redemptive work. They don't see the cross as the means through which God has reconciled to the world, uh, reconciled the world to himself through his son. They see the cross as a scandal or as an offense or the height of ridiculous foolishness. And so the community should not live the way that the enemies of the cross live. And he notes, unfortunately, that their end is destruction. And he doesn't say this with joy, right? He says, I tell you this even with tears, that even though people have set themselves up as enemies of the cross, St. Paul doesn't go say, okay, go out and own them in debates or go out and hate them. He's saying, don't imitate them because they've done this, right? And he says, I'm telling you this in tears, with, through tears. This isn't something for them to be to happy about. So the community should not live the way that the enemies of the cross live. Because the way that the enemies of the cross live will result in their destruction. Because they don't glory in the cross of Christ. They glory in the satisfaction of their own desires. That's what it means when he says that their God is their belly, that they are driven by their sinful inclinations, by their fallen human sinful natures, right? They do this so much so that the shame that they should feel sinning in the way that they do, they actually glory in it, right? So they're, such, they're so opposed to the cross, to Jesus, to the church, that the sinful way of life that should drive normal people to feel shame, he says here, they actually glory in that. They glory in that. So the things that should lead them to repentance, the things that they shouldn't do, the things that should lead them to the cross, they actually celebrate and trumpet this back and display this back as something virtuous and to be celebrated. I was reminded of this a while back on social media, right? If you want to see a perfect example of enemies of the cross of Christ, just go, go to Twitter and, and particularly TikTok. Both are very toxic places right now, pr primarily TikTok. People glorying in shame, glorying in things that should be leading them to repentance and driving them to the foot of the cross. You know, trying to, confusing, right? Children <laughs> with gender ideologies that are destructive to their bodies. 
shouting their abortion, right? All of these things are examples of what enemies of the cross of Christ do. And so culture tells us to take glory in sin, but we don't take glory in sin. We take glory in the cross and we take glory in the cross through not standing back and criticizing all of the things that I just mentioned. The way we glory in the cross is by reaching out to the enemies of the cross, by reaching out to those who have set themselves up in opposition against God, those who refuse to listen to God's word, those who refuse the offer of Christ's love and salvation. We are to reach out to them. We are to try and serve them in love through tears, not stand in judgment against them, because their end is destruction. Christ will judge them that way. But it's our responsibility as those who glory in the cross to bring the message of the cross and the good news of what Christ has done to those people who glory in their shame. And then the third thing he says is stand firm. Stand firm. He closes with an admonition to do this. So this is the third thing, stand firm. But not just standing firm in general, but he says standing firm in the Lord. Standing firm in the Lord. Those who stand firm in the Lord are those who are going to imitate the Lord. They are those who imitate St. Paul. They are those who imitate the apostles and the leadership of the church that have been set there. Those who stand firm are those who keep their eyes on those living lives of holiness. And that's why the lives of the saints are so important for us, brothers and sisters, because they show us that pattern that Jesus lived and laid out for us in very real ways. They've gone beyond the mental apprehension of the theory of living like Jesus and actually live like and have lived like Jesus, therefore calling us to live like they have, to live like they have. And standing firm in the Lord means standing also in hope. Because, well, let me give you an example, right? So the Old Testament reading for this morning that we didn't get to because we're not meeting in person is God appearing to Abraham and saying, Hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, right? I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you will be cursed. I'll make you the father of many nations, and through you all the, the nations of the world shall be blessed. Right? God says this a few times to Abraham. And I think this morning's reading was when um, they actually cut the covenant together. But Abraham doesn't receive that promise right away. right? He has to stand firm in what God told him. In other words, he has to trust in God, that God would do what he said. Even if he doesn't experience it in the present, he still has to stand firm in the trust and in the hope that God will do what he promised. And we know that in the Abraham story, God does do what he promised, right? And so that's what we do when we're standing firm in Christ. Like Abraham, we trust in God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And just as Abraham missed it and made mistakes and sinned and lost the plot a couple times here and there, we're going to do that too. It's going to happen to us too. We're going to lose the plot. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes, right? But Abraham stayed faithful, trusting that God would do what he said. And God does do what he said. And so the promises to Abraham are the same promises that God gives to us. 
that are fulfilled in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right? So we can stand firm awaiting the fulfillment of the, all of the promises God made to Abraham that were inaugurated in Jesus and that will be completely fulfilled at his second coming. And we have to remember that our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And St. Paul even says this. He says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables even to subject all things to himself. And that's verse 20 to 21 in Philippians chapter 3 that we read a few moments ago. Right? So unlike those whose God is their belly, unlike those who glory in their shame, those who imitate Christ do so because they know that they are citizens of heaven. Right? So they partake of heavenly things, not of earthly things. Because the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And what anchors the ability to stand firm is the knowledge of our coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Because when our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, returns, He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. And this is so important, right? That, that language used to describe, describe this is, is, is almost inadequate, right? Because we can't quite grasp our minds about what's awaiting us. Paul is basically saying that the glorified, resurrected body of Jesus is the agent of transformation of our own frail and earthly bodies. Our transient, temporal, corruptible earthly bodies will be revivified by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are participants in His glory. And the coming hope of this glory is the fuel, is the, what animates, what gives power to the way we as Christians live our lives in the here and now. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion's Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.